BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. That when you're on a diet, a very structured diet, you're basically feeling like you're small and little and you need to be told what to eat and when to eat and how to eat it by a big authority. You're identified with being a child who cannot trust herself. Hey everybody and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversation around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod. I am so excited for this episode. You guys know how I, how much I love talking about intuitive eating and body image, but also how much I love Janine Roth, who is here today joining us to talk about all things food body image and binging and restriction and calories and all of that good stuff during quarantine. And she is here to help me and us all break down how to navigate this current time. I was really excited to do this episode because this is actually the first time I have repeated a guest on RealPod. So Janine was on RealPod previously. I think she was the 10th episode ever. So you can go back and listen to that if you want more of her backstory and to hear about sort of the baseline of intuitive eating. But for this episode, you know, it's quarantine. Everyone is sitting at home. A big theme right now that we're all talking about and seeing online is how to continue to work out and stay fit. And we're seeing all these like toxic memes on, I want to come out of quarantine with a better body. And you know, the kitchen is so close. And maybe you're living with someone who is commenting on what you're eating or pressuring you to work out. And it's just a totally different environment than what we're used to. And this can cause us to either rehab our issues with food. Maybe people are starting to have issues with food that they never had before. And anyways, it's just a lot to deal with. And I really wanted to have a conversation and a podcast episode for you all to listen to that could hopefully help you help you lend you some support, give you some guidance, some advice, good advice during this time while we are all trying to navigate food and our body image. So joining me today once again is Janine Roth. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She has been on the Oprah Winfrey show. Oprah loves and respects what Janine has to say. I love her books and her teachings. They are what have uh, 
for the most part, I would credit to changed the way I view food and have helped me for the better. So I don't know where I would be without Janine's books. And I am so fortunate now to hopefully call her a friend of mine now that Janine is here for a second time and to have you guys all listen to her today. So without further ado, I can't wait to get started to talk about body image, food, and eating disorders during this time in quarantine. Let's get started and hear from the one and only Janine Roth. Janine, I am so happy to have you back because as you know, and everyone knows right now, we're in a very unique situation with quarantine and the coronavirus. And I know my friends and many of my followers have just been expressing how now they're forced to sit at home. They're near their kitchens. They're locked up maybe with people who judge their bodies and their eating habits. They're not able to be as active. There's a lot of stress and fear um, going around with everything going on. And so it really is affecting the way we eat. So how do you think we can even start navigating this current situation with food? This current situation is bringing up patterns, feelings, thoughts that were already there. So it's not as if, I'm talking about the relationship with food. Yes, we're in a completely unique, once in a lifetime, hopefully, once in a lifetime cataclysmic event that's going on that's that that we're all sharing it's i mean in, on that level it's absolutely extraordinary it's staggering that we are all sharing this same collective wave of the covid-19 virus and the fears that are coming up and the the thoughts and the quarantining in place and um the hand washing and the masks and the fears that are happening. So all of that, of course, is new in terms of the coronavirus. What's coming up with food now has always been there. That's not, we're not talking new. Whatever has haunted you about your relationship with food is now exacerbated. It's in full exaggerated, exacerbated, technicolor on a giant screen in front of you. You get to see what it is that's always been there. And so in the way that I view this, which granted might be an unusual way to view it, I see this as an opportunity for people to look at what's been haunting them about the relationship with themselves. Now, remember that I believe that we eat the way that we live. And so whatever you feel about yourself, the ways that you judge yourself or shame yourself or deprive yourself or punish yourself, the the ongoing story you have about yourself that you react to, that you then turn to food to deal with, those are things that are up now even more so. So now here's the invitation. Are you willing to? Do you want to? Will you take this opportunity to 
look at your relationship with food in a way that you never get the chance to do. Oh, I love that. And I love that you just said that because I reached out to a lot of my followers who listened to your first episode. And I always am telling people to read the book so they, they know who you are. And they've come with a bunch of questions about how to do this exactly. Because I think we talk about intuitive eating. We talk about mindfulness, this way to really think about how we have a relationship with food. But then there's so many more questions and fears and things that seem so complicated just from the diet culture and our family and just the habits we've created, whether they're toxic or not. So just diving in to ask you one of those questions, why is it that we eat when we're not hungry? Why is it that I want to grab the bag of chips and the ice cream when I am not hungry? You know, it's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. And so if we're eating when we're not hungry, there's, a, there's any number of things going on. I find even with myself, and um, I, I, I do want to back up a little and say, when you've had an issue with food, when you're food sensitive, let's call it, um, and I consider myself part of this, this tribe. Me too. Uh, Let's go. Yes. We're in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. So, you know, I had a, a, a quite a serious um, eating pattern going on uh, for many, many years between bulimia and anorexia and then overweight and jockeying back and forth. So there, there were years of doing that. And, I'll never be somebody who doesn't have an issue. Well, no, who didn't have an issue with food. Not doesn't have an issue, but didn't have an issue. It's like a um, uh, when you've learned the violin and you've practiced it every single day for 20 years and you put it down, you still know how to play the violin. Now, that's in, in a very positive, very, very positive I'm, I'm like, I can still look at any plate and think the calories instantly, but I don't do that. <laughs> right. Like that. Yes. Yeah, so that's your version of the violin. That's my version of the violin. Sometimes now with the coronavirus, we're going on the fourth week of sheltering in place. So this is four weeks in California. Um, or in, in Northern California. And I'll sometimes walk back into my house now because I have a separate writing studio. And the first thing I'll be thinking is, oh, what can I eat? And I'm not hungry. There's no desire for food. I might have just eaten an hour and a half ago, but it's like, oh, what can I eat? Now, I notice that I have a laugh about it. Sometimes I do say to myself, what's going on? that you're asking yourself what you want to eat. And what I want to say is what I started with. It's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. So there's some level of anxiety that's going on in the culture. Even if you're not personally anxious, what we're learning in the whole culture, some, some at the very least uncertainty of how this is going to play out. When is this part of sheltering in place going to end? 
When do I get to go back to work? For the people who have lost their jobs, for the people who don't know where their next paycheck is coming from, from the people who are struggling. I mean, there's all that going on to the people who are doing okay, working from home, but still thinking, wow, I need to socially distance from my refrigerator because the refrigerator is just too close. So in general, there's this theme of comfort. This food is gonna give me something that emotionally I want right now and I don't have. Yes, and it's good to know to name what that is. First of all, it's good to normalize it and not to go veering off into, I'm crazy, here's this eating disorder again, oh my God, I thought it was fine and then the COVID-19 virus came along and I'm back into crazy dysfunctional behavior. I knew this was gonna happen, I knew it was too good to be true. So that whole slide down, don't go there because we're just gonna normalize it and say, yeah, there's stuff that's coming up right now that is, is there to be looked at or there to be, oh, noticed, okay. I feel like I wanna eat when I'm not hungry. Okay, number one, I have a choice. Am I gonna, am I gonna do it? If I'm not hungry, then I mean, you always have a choice to do it. Okay, if I don't, what's going on? that I need distraction from. Do I feel lonely? Do I feel scared? Do I feel anxious? Um, do I feel bored? Do I feel worried? Do, is this just uncertainty? What's happening here? Because that's really what could be welcomed in that, where you could just sit down with yourself and say, okay, okay, sweetheart, I know you're feeling anxious. This is an anxiety producing situation for many people. What will make it better? Sometimes just saying, I feel anxious. Sometimes saying, I feel lonely, I feel bored. I feel really scared, I feel terrified. Sometimes really those feelings which we don't like needing or welcoming, we just wanna get rid of them, we just want them to go away, doesn't help. You know, I often say it's like finding a, a child crying on the side of the road, you know, just out of loneliness or fear or terror, anxiety. What do you do? You listen. You say, I'm here. You belong here with me. What can I do? Now, I'm a big believer in intuitive eating. I learned that from you. It's how I eat now. I just can't even imagine not approaching food that way. And it's something that, I think a lot of people want to try and they want to do it, but it's hard because they still have that voice of, but I got to lose 15 pounds before I intuitively eat. I got to lose 10 pounds before I do this or that. Do you think that there's an element of self-acceptance, just forgetting what you used to be and forgetting what you hope to be and just being what you are before you can properly practice a mindful eating practice? Well, I think that it's impossible to take on anything from a position of judgment or shame and lack of acceptance. So if you're not accepting yourself right here, right now, there's no way 
that you can embark on a new way of eating, regardless of what it is. Even if it were, even if it was to go on a diet right now and, um, you know, be very strict with a food plan. When you come from shame, when you come from self-judgment, then your whole system is shut down. You know, the, the, the brain scientists describe, you know, well, I mean, not just the brain scientists, scientists describe the parts of your brain, like the amygdala that goes into overdrive and fight or flight syndrome. When you're feeling ashamed or, or you're feeling judgmental or self-hating. So starting anything when you feel that way isn't good. And it, it won't be helpful. It'll just shut you down. You won't really learn anything. People don't learn anything when they're shut down like that. To accept, do you have to like? Or can people accept and still say, but I don't like the way I look? Well, you can certainly say, I would prefer. It's different than, you know, you can get very tricky in there, Victoria, because you can say, okay, well, I fully accept myself, but I sure don't like my thighs and my arms. And yeah, I accept them because they're here, but gee, you know, I sure That's wish not I really could. Acceptance, probably. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Acceptance is, ah, uh, I, I really get that I've done the best I could do with what I've known with the tools that I've had. I really have done the best I, I, I know how to do. And then what is it, and here's the rub even with intuitive eating. Because when people hear the words intuitive eating, what they think is, and people interpreted my words, you know, the eating guidelines that I wrote years ago, eat whatever you want whenever you want it. The opposite of dieting is intuitive eating. The opposite, and so that basically is binging. Because if you go into your mind and you pretend that that's intuitive eating, then your mind will, will basically say to you, I want everything that I, I've never been allowed to have because now I'm never gonna go on a diet again or else this isn't a diet right now. So now I want, I want ice cream and I want pizza and I want sugar, 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 sugar. I and hear the same thing all the time. Family, friends. Well, I'm not just going to eat whatever I want when I want. I'll blow up like a balloon. That's what I hear. And I'm saying it's not eating whatever you want, whenever you want. There's a, there is an element of discipline and awareness. And I think a lot of people also view intuitive eating as giving up. I couldn't stick to the diet. I couldn't do the whole 30. So they don't think they actually did their best. And they think if I am going to listen to myself and say, screw it and lift the gates, I failed. Yes. Right. So there's a, there's another way to look at intuitive eating, you know, which I'm not even calling intuitive eating right now because intuitive eating has gotten a bad rap because of exactly what you just said because people have interpreted it as all hell breaks loose eating you know just it's you so know great. yeah I was thinking that the other day I was like we gotta rename this thing to make it sound like <laughs> keto or <laughs> free and then people will want to do it 
<laughs> right. But so what I haven't come up with a new name for, I think I did, but now I forgot what it is to tell you the truth. <laughs> Probably um, not that great. We got to come up with <laughs> I know, right. If I forgot it, it can't really be that great. But the, what it actually is, is asking yourself, see, in, um, the, the, the kind of eating that's not dieting requires an adult being present. And what a diet is and what a binge is, are, is basically, uh, basically sort of demonstrates the presence of children, inner children. I'm not really a big one for, and my inner child said this and my inner child said that. However, I want to say that when you're on a diet, then basically what you're doing on a very structured diet, you're basically feeling like you're small and little and you need to be told what to eat and when to eat and how to eat it by a big authority who knows a lot more than you do. Wow, so that's very true. You're identified with being a child who cannot trust herself, who if she stopped dieting, and I know that I, I felt like this for years, if she stopped dieting, if I stopped dieting, I would binge immediately. I didn't know what it was like to not be on either a diet or a binge because those were the only two modes of eating that seemed that I, first of all, that I had ever done. And when you're binging, you're rebelling against the authority. So when you're dieting, you're kowtowing, you're bending down, you're in compliance with an authority. When you're binging, you're still a kid. You still don't have agency over your own life. You still don't have any power. Your relationship with food is utterly powerless there because if you're dieting, you've given up your power to the big authority. If you're binging, you're rebelling against the authority. And that's the same thing as dieting, basically. You're still tied to. If you're, if you're either rebelling against or complying, then you're absolutely tied to the big, powerful authority figure, even if it's an inner figure at this point. The one who's just saying to you, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. I can't, how could you? You're never like that. So what we want to do is get to the point where there's something, a voice of wisdom in there that says to you, what do you need to eat to feel good? What would sustain your life? What would nourish you? What would give you energy instead of take it away? These are really good questions to ask and everybody knows the answer to them, but they don't want to ask them because what doesn't give you energy is sugar. What doesn't give you energy is processed foods. What, so you would have to actually decide, I'm not gonna eat those foods. And this goes against what people have thought about as intuitive eating. When you decide based on what you want to feel and based on how you know you do feel when you eat 
you know, let's just say one of my big favorites this, this week is cauliflower mash. And the way that I make it is with an immersion blender. I whip it up so that it's just very creamy. I add a ton of butter or ghee and some salt and it's divine. And the difference between me eating that and eating a row of cookies, how I feel afterwards when I do that one, I feel like I just need to go to sleep. And the other, I feel like, oh, I have energy. So even you, though it has butter, so you're saying it's just choosing what makes you feel good. Just well, I am not. Uh, I'm somebody who, after years of not eating any fat, I realized, wow, my brain. A lot of my brain is made of fat. A lot of my organs are made of fat. Enough medical people told me early on in the 90s actually, that I needed to eat a lot more fat. So I did start eating a lot more fat. So I have nothing against fat. So I happen to like ghee better than butter, but a lot of people don't. I eat a lot of fat. I love the way you kind of brought up this idea about bad food, junk food, because when you say like processed food versus sugar, um, for me, now, and I actually, last time we spoke, you sort of classified intuitive eating like as steps. And when you get to the, maybe the final steps, yes. you're, you're purely choosing what's going to be best for your body. There's no emotional component of, I love the taste of Doritos or I'm sad, whatever. I feel like I'm still at a place where I do not binge. I do not restrict, but I had Doritos with my lunch today because I love the way they taste and I wanted them. And for yeah. me, for me to intuitively eat and not fall back to binging and restriction, I have to allow myself the processed food and the sugar. So is there a happy medium there, at least when you're beginning this process? Well, it sounds like you are at the happy medium. Right. It sounds like you know what you need to do in order not to binge, in order to feel sane, in order to sort of have a right relationship with food. That if you cut out processed foods and sugar, that would feel like deprivation to you. That would trigger me. If even to where I am right now, if someone told me I couldn't eat sugar, I would lose all control. <laughs> right. So you know, you know where you are. And that's really good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment about that. There's no right. There's no wrong. It, it all depends on how you feel. And when I say how you feel, you have to take into account what you just said. It's not, well, that last stage that you and I talked about when we talked last time was really purely about which foods energize, sustain, nourish, enliven me. That is the last stage, so to speak, where you, you eat solely those foods. I mean, every now and then, you know, you don't, but, but I would say 95% of the time you do. But, but that is the, that you cycle through the stages. You can't go from zero to a hundred, unless you're a Tesla, you know, <laughs> in 10 seconds. Right. People also 
I, I have heard are having problems because they have for so many years associated like a food or certain foods as bad. And for me to break free from emotional eating, I had to allow myself to have those foods to then realize they weren't really what I wanted or they didn't taste as good as I had chalked them up to be. So how does someone who literally finds it so hard to eat a marshmallow because their mind is like, there's so much sugar in a marshmallow. There's so many calories in a marshmallow. How does someone kind of break free from that mindset so that they can begin the journey of exploring what makes them feel good and then deciding if they want it or not? Slowly is the answer to that. There's no magic there. There's you decide, you make a conscious choice about the course you're on. And if the course you're on, if you've decided that you're going to taste certain foods that you have previously forbidden because you're in a shame deprivation binge cycle and you really want to break out of it, then, and marshmallows are something that you really want to have, then you start slowly and you, but you pay attention. I think the main thing is that you, you really, really, really pay attention so that you sit down, you pay attention, you don't, you, you don't do other things while you're eating the marshmallow because there's no point in eating a marshmallow if it's a forbidden food and you're going to let yourself have it and distracting yourself while being on the internet or watching television or even being in an intense or an anxiety-producing conversation at the same time. In order to really figure out if you want something, if it tastes good to you, you have to put your attention there. If you don't put your attention on it, you miss the experience completely. You cannot multitask. You cannot, I mean, you can, but you won't really have the experience. Is it possible that someone can decide they want to, to practice this? They want to be a mindful, intuitive eater and not have sort of like a binge episode as they christen the, uh, you know, rid of the diet culture. And I know in your books too, you talked about the first time you stopped dieting, you ate all this food. And I think a lot of people fear that when they, when they, when they get rid of the control, they get rid of the regimen, they're just going to eat everything. Is that something that sort of comes with the experience, like figure it out, be compassionate. If you do that, think about why you did that. Or do you think someone who's really mindful could slowly start introducing foods and figuring this out without a binge? It really depends on the individual, I would say, on where somebody finds themselves, how much they've deprived themselves. I had been on a diet or a binge every single day for 17 years. And when I told myself I didn't have to diet and I could eat what I wanted to eat, I felt like I'd been let out of prison. I feel like I had been given wings. And, you know, I lifted off the earth and was flying around the galaxies. That's how excited and free I felt. And um, I also felt free to eat everything I hadn't ever allowed myself to eat without guilt. 
and I went through those foods one by one. But, it, but soon I felt sick because those foods were pumpkin ice cream and raw chocolate chip cookie dough and things like that. And of course, and I was a lot younger then, so I could, uh, you know, my energy was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if I like that for a while, I, I don't, I think I probably couldn't get off the bed. But it depends on, on, on whoever is doing it and how um, in touch with their bodies they are. I love that, that you've said this because it is true. A lot of people think that they will run to the kitchen and literally never gasp for air until they've eaten everything if they decide to do this. But right. instead, I think it's just deciding to take a really cautious, mindful approach of how you're eating and the choices you're making. Um, and something else that I want to hear what your advice on is the outside noise from people, friends, and loved ones. A lot of people feel pressure to look a certain way from the people in their lives or the people they live with or the people who make the meals for them. And it's difficult to do this. So what would your advice be for someone who feels like they have other eyes watching them and not maybe are approving? of choosing to do something like this? I think one of the invitations of, of really working through your relationship with food, and whenever I say that, I feel like it really means working with your relationship with yourself and your thoughts and your feelings. That's what we're really saying because food is just food and food is the thing on which we act out our feelings about ourselves and others and our thoughts and all of that. So one of the invitations, if people can like put this thing upside down on its head and see it as a portal or a doorway or an invitation, one of the main ones is to be in touch with oneself and not to let other people rule you, not to let other people's thoughts about you, feelings about you, judgments about you, um, dictates about you rule your life. How do you do that? You start very, very simply. Everybody who's listening to this, you start, you feel your feet on the floor. You just, you have feet. Most of us do. Not all of us do, but most of us have feet. You feel your feet on the floor. You feel the ground. You get in touch with your own body. You feel your hands. You start with your right hand and you wiggle your right hand. You wiggle your left hand. You sense your feet, your arms, your legs. This is very unglamorous. I understand. People are probably sitting, ah, oh, enough already. I know I have feet. I know I have arms. You know, can we get on with these? No, exciting... I'm right there with you. I'm wiggling my toes as you speak. <laughs> right. And so that reminds you that you have a body. Most of us are walking heads. Most of us are walking heads. We don't remember that we have a body. We, we don't feel our feet, we don't feel our hands. We certainly don't feel our hunger until it gets like way out there. 
or our fullness until we're so full that, you know, I used to say, when I rolled over, my stomach stayed on the other side of the bed. That's how, you know, that's how full I felt. So coming back to your body and realize this body is yours. And although we've gotten to this point where other people feel like it's okay to make comments on our bodies, on what we eat, it's really not okay. Nobody can live with the effects of what you put into your body. It's you who feels full. It's you who wakes up in the middle of the night sick to your stomach. It's you who two hours later is hungry again or not hungry again. It's you who wakes up hating your body. It's you who doesn't want to be in the pictures. It's you who experiences all this suffering. So why are we letting the voices of others keep us in the suffering? Right. So exactly. So we start feeling like, as um, my last therapist said to me, I don't want to is a complete sense. No is a complete sense. And no, I don't want to is definitely a big complete sentence. Or this is mine. This is mine to figure out. Please do not comment on it. So it, that's what it takes. I love that. We always feel like we need a reason. No, I don't want to because of right. this or that. Right. Yes. I'm not feeling so well. I don't do this or that. No, you don't need it. No, I don't want to. No, please don't. These are my meals. I get to decide. I have two final questions for you. The first one is right now, we obviously can't fully eat exactly what we want when we want it. You know, the way I had to recover was if I decided I wanted a specific sandwich, I would drive myself there and get the sandwich and give it to myself. But obviously now we have restaurants closed down. We might be watching our spending. We might not be the ones buying the groceries and I might not get to choose what I'm eating every day. How, how, how can someone navigate that and have, how should their thoughts be wired as they try to do this, but don't always have a great choice? Right. You know, I, I want to say again, the most important part of what we're doing is being in touch with, friendly with, and welcoming your inner experience, your inner life. So you can be loving towards yourself no matter what. Now that might take some practice because most of us have been harsh with ourselves. We, we don't even know how to be kind to ourselves. We just think that kindness means self-indulgence. So no matter what you can and cannot eat, no matter what choices you have or don't have, those don't depend on food. I mean, your experience of yourself doesn't have to depend on what foods you can or cannot eat. You get to have dominion over that. <clears throat> and that's what I feel the invitation is now here with food, which brings us back to what I started with. That's the invitation. Now, in 
in, and it's a big invitation. And it's good to take advantage of this because this isn't going to last forever. We don't know how much longer this is going to last. You might as well look at what haunts you about your relationship with yourself and food. You've got the opportunity. You've got the time. You can do this. You can really face this so that when we come out of this COVID-19 um, event, world event, your relationship with food can be different than it was when you went in. In terms of what you do when you can't drive to get your favorite food, you, you got to choose what you got. Of the choices you got, what do you want the most? That's the, that's the best you can do. You do the best you can do. You, can't, you just can't do any better than that. Yeah. So if it's, you know, a choice between three things, you choose one of them that you really like or two. I get chills and I've gotten slightly emotional a few times during this podcast just because I feel so confident in how I am with food now, but I can closely resonate and relate to the people whose questions I'm helping say and advocate for because I, I get it. And I think when you say that now, it's like, I hope everyone takes the invitation because it's not a happy, pleasant life to wake up every day. And the first thought is what you can't eat today, what you can't eat for breakfast. It's haunting, it's consuming, and it really just weighs down the potential of your life. So I guess the very last question I wanted to ask you was, do you think intuitive eating is for everyone? Um, you know, before I answer that question, uh, one thing I want to say, because you reminded me of it when you said about when you wake up in the morning, it's very good to have certain things you do every day, no matter what. When you wake up in the morning, where do you put your attention? So if you usually wake up with, what can I eat today? What do I weigh today? Did I gain weight today? Is my stomach flat today you put your hand on your stomach or whatever you do it's very good to have practices i call them little and beautiful practices that you do every day that that really uplift you that bring you joy so when you first wake up in the morning you can first ask yourself what do i have enough of right now and well, I woke up, I opened my eyes, I, you know, I have enough air to breathe, which is a big thing in these days. I have a partner, or I have a dog, I have a friend, I have enough sardines in my cabinet that might not make a lot of people happy, but I have enough food to eat. I have um, enough paper, I have enough, I, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is, we all, you have one orange, I wish I had that little poem I've been reading at the time about um, how one little thing can be so much, one thing. What you pay attention to actually matters. 
And if you put your mind, if you learn to start putting your mind when you first wake up in the morning and before you go to bed at night, if you start putting your mind on what's good, then at least you will start because what you pay attention to grows. And when you pay attention to the good, then your brain starts changing. It starts taking in the good. And that changes you. That releases dopamine. That, you know, there's a whole cascade of hormones that get released. So I would say have two practices that you do. Some kind of structure. I heard a wonderful um, interview with Elizabeth Gilbert recently where she said she had six words for people during this time. Make your bed. That was three words. And get dressed. Those were the other three words. Six words every day. So those were her words. My words are, what are you going to do today that actually focuses you on what's good instead of what's wrong? Stop watching the news for so long. Have a certain amount of time that you watch the news. This is all related to your relationship with food. This is all part of your relationship with yourself. This is part of what you eat. Now, this is the non-food part of what you eat. So if you're consuming news, either in the form of watching it on television, listening on the radio, or reading it to the point where your nervous system is getting agitated, you're going to be turning to food a hell of a lot more than you would if you weren't consuming that kind of food. So I would say decide on non-food things that you can do for five minutes a day, five minutes. I love that. I think we wake up constantly with this climb to get more, to be more, nothing's enough. So I love how your question you've posed is, what is enough? What do you have yes. enough of? Because I too, I wake up every morning, like I need to do a million things to get to where I want to be because this isn't enough. Um, so I, I love that. Thank you. For and I would say, particularly now, because the way that this can, this time can be thought of in a way that's very sneaky is for people to say, well, I've got so much time. I should take this course and this self-improvement thing. And now I should take up guitar because a lot of people are teaching guitar on the internet and or an instrument that I never did or drawing or painting or, you know, like this whole thing, you know, oh, hot yoga. Okay. How do I make my house really hot? I never liked hot yoga to begin with, but because we have a lot of time, maybe I will. And so (laughs) that kind of craziness um, can set in now where you put even more pressure on yourself than you did before. I would say, go easy on yourself. Now I didn't answer your question. Do you remember what your question was? You asked me about it was, is this for everyone (laughs) is mindful, intuitive eating for everyone. I don't know the answer to that. I have a wonderful assistant who I just adore and She's in an anonymous program with food and she is convinced she's an addict and there is no way she watches me eat when I'm eating sometimes. She spends the day here and she'll say to me all the time, I can't believe you're leaving food on your plate. I can't believe you can only have one 
square of chocolate. I can't believe you didn't uh, eat that entire thing. Um, so when you're convinced and or feel like you are an addict, you're going to feel like this isn't for you. And I want to say something else. This being for you really also um, depends on having that adult present, having the one present who can say, honey, you're sad, let me be with you. In and that's your the inner adult you're talking that's about. That's the inner adult. The inner Yes, the inner voice. It's ironic that your assistant isn't like the most pristine eater because you are that, you know, and I would imagine just being surrounded by all of your interviews and your books and your writings that, you know, and it just goes to show how much of a personal thing this is for people. And it's not something that they can, most, some people can just click easily. Like you said, you had your epiphany. I had my epiphany because of you. I've seen my friend have an epiphany and then another friend who doesn't. And, you know, it's, it's, it is a lifelong journey. It is. And we're ready for it when we're ready for it. You know, if we feel scared, if we feel um, out of control, if we feel like we need, you know, everybody needs structure in their lives, everybody. And some people interpret intuitive eating as lack of structure completely. Mm -hmm. I don't, um, but some people do, and that can be scary. I've had a few people talk to me about that as we wrap up quickly, I'll just say this, um, who've said that they love the structure, and I've said, that's fine, do your structure, plan out what you would like, and if you wake up and you want to veer from that structure at lunchtime, that's okay, let's have a conversation, let's change the side that we initially thought, and then let's discuss why, but let's not make it this, oh, I broke my regimen, I broke my thing, I'm going to binge. I can't do it. So I think there's always this element of just wanting everyone to be cautious of their choices. And like you said, understand inside of them what, what's pulling them there, pushing them there. Yeah, I would say kindness and discernment are the, the biggest things. Kindness to yourself, which doesn't mean self-indulgence, and discernment about what you're eating, how it's making you feel, and do you want to feel like that? So that's eventually what it gets down to. Janine, thank you. This is why you are the GOAT, the greatest of all time. <laughs> Victoria, um, it's a pleasure seeing you. Oh my gosh, you guys. I hope that that was as eye-opening and helpful for you as it was for me. My personal favorite part is how she explained when we're dieting, we are almost treating ourselves like children. Like we can't be trusted. We need a boss. We need to be put in timeout. And then we are rebelling when we're binging or we're caving or we're going off a diet. I was like, oh my God, that is so true. I can't believe that I spent so many years acting like I was a child and I couldn't trust myself. So that for me was my breakthrough of the episode. I loved hearing that. I would love to know what yours is. Go to my Instagram, comment on the video with Janine Roth. Let me know what your breakthrough was. If you want to follow up with Janine or keep up with her posts, you can follow Janine on Instagram at Janine Roth. She also does retreats. So if you guys want to go work with Janine personally, 
after quarantine is over. Obviously, you can go to a retreat and work on your emotional eating and your intuitive eating with Janine. So sign up for that and check that out if you're interested. Thanks again for listening. If you're enjoying RealPod, make sure you please rate and review it. That would mean a lot to me. I would really appreciate it if you're having a good time and you're coming back week after week. Please give it a rating and review it. Hopefully positive. That would be great. Um, But I'm not going to tell you what to do because I would appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. And I will be back next Wednesday with another fabulous guest and another episode for all of you. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day. And just remember, be patient, be compassionate with yourselves. We're all in this together with food and I am rooting for you. Have a good one.